0: you will open your Bibles now, if you do not already have them open there, to the book of Colossians, to chapter 3 and verse 12. I will tell you, is the Apostle Paul wrote letters from prison. He wrote the Ephesians, he wrote the Philippians, he wrote the Colossians, and he wrote Philemon. When he wrote these letters, he dealt with a number of doctrinal things. He dealt with the fact that the church of Jesus Christ, was a part of God's eternal plan. He dealt with the fact that Jesus was the Christ, that He was God in the flesh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. But in each of these letters that he wrote from prison, he not only dealt with doctrinal issues, but he dealt with practical Christian living. How you and I ought to be aspiring to lead very godly lives in a world that is full of sin and darkness. He did not want us to allow sin to inhabit who we are. A couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, we discussed the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your affections, set your thoughts on the things that are above where Christ is. You and I need to realize that this is a call to live a higher life. Now, there's a particular thought in verses 12 through verse 15, and so I want to focus your mind by asking a question, as I have in each one of these lessons. Do you remember your childhood, in the springtime, getting a new set of clothes? Now, I'm going to tell you what sticks in my mind. I try to use illustrations that... uh, mean something to me, and I think they'll usually mean something to others as well. I can remember being a little boy, and I'm guessing probably five or six years old, because this sticks vividly in my mind. My mother bought me a sailor suit. Uh, One of those where you had the flap on the back and everything. You could either get a blue one or a white one. I got the white one. At least it was white for a little while. But I can remember that new set of clothes, how special they were. I can remember how crisp and white that little outfit was. The reason why I want you to think about that is because in the previous lesson, the one we studied last Sunday morning, we talked about Paul in that lesson saying how important it was to take off. He first talked about putting to death or mortifying These sinful passions that we have. And then he says, take off. As if a person were disrobing. But you know, we don't just take our clothes off. We put something else back on. And what are we putting on? Sometimes, we need lessons that will expose us to sin in our lives. But we also need some lessons that expose us to some positive things a goal, an aspiration that we might have, that we might reach higher. So this morning, let us look at this passage. We're going to look at verse 12, the first part of it, and I've entitled that Dressed for Success. And then beginning with the latter part of verse 12, going through verse 15, we're going to look at some decorations for the dress, if you will, of saints. Let's begin, first of all, with this idea. Look with me at the first part of verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. As the elect of God. You know, a lot of young people, especially young men who are going to preach, will come and say, I I need to know what I need to do to try to make a good impression on the elders where I'm going to be going. A lot of these young men will maybe come and they'll say, I, I'm applying for a job. Would you be a character reference for me? Would you be a reference so that I can tell someone, I can have somebody recommend me? And I generally will say, sure, I'll be glad to. Let me encourage you to dress for the occasion. I have seen young men to go for a business interview or maybe even to go and speak with elders and walk in with a pair of blue jeans and a a slogan printed on a t-shirt. And that's not real good. I've seen people who have gone to what I would call formal events dressed inappropriately for that event. You see, it's hard to communicate sometimes with young people how valuable it is to be dressed for success. That is a biblical principle. If you go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 11, Jesus is giving a parable. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, How did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Do you understand if you went to a wedding in the first century, you were supposed to wear wedding clothes? You were supposed to wear clothes that represented you were there at a a wedding? Here's a man who was not wearing them, and he was challenged. Why aren't you wearing them? And he didn't have anything to say. Now, let me apply that, if you will. We are the elect of God. We are holy and beloved. As that, you and I ought to be attired in or dressed in Christian dress. I know some of you are thinking, well, he's going to preach on immodesty. That's not really the thrust of this part of the lesson I want you to notice with me a couple of passages, really three passages, which will address the point I'm trying to make. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, "...with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works." Now, you might say, well, there it is. Look at verse 9. He's talking about being clothed modestly you want me to preach a lesson on modesty? We can stop at this point and talk about that. We can talk about inappropriate dress for Christians. Dress that shows more of the body than it ought to show. But that's not the point that I'm trying to pursue in this lesson. Look with me particularly at verse 10. He says, But which is proper for women professing godliness. Now notice that last phrase, with good works. Do you understand that a part of the Christian dress is not just the outward dress? In fact, that's what he's trying to focus them away from. He's trying to say, I want you to focus on the type of life that you live. Now, if you don't really grasp it there, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. And again, I think you're going to see the point that I am trying to make. He says, wives, likewise, being submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair. Wearing of gold, putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times the holy women of God or who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord whose daughters you now are if you do good and not afraid of any terror notice he's not talking about the mere outward adornment yes that's something that may be beautiful You do want occasionally to put on the fine apparel. It is nice for a woman to dress in a very beautiful way, but that's not what Peter was focusing on. He's focusing on the hidden person of the heart, the inner beauty, if you will. That is an adornment that Christian women may have that speaks louder than any dress that they might wear. And the same could be said true for men as well. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Paul wrote Titus, he said, Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may, now here's the word, Adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You see, the kind of clothes that we're talking about is something that is appropriate for the elect of God. For those who are holy and beloved, we ought to be dressed for success spiritually. The kind that people can look at and see in us, see on us, that we are holy people. Now, let's pick up with the latter part of verse 12 and go through verse 15 and let's look specifically at some of these things. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another... If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body and be thankful. Now, notice that these are things that you put on. You know, we have our basic clothing, just like in the first century, a person would have a tunic and a cloak. And then on that, they would put other sorts of adornments, other sorts of decorations. Some of you ladies may put on a dress. It may be a basic dress. And then you may also put on some sort of scarf after that. You may put on some sort of pin. These things become decorations, if you will. And so Paul is going to enumerate some things which stand out. And as we read these things, these are things that I need to be thinking about. Am I doing a very good job of this? Am I striving to have this as a part of my life? Tender mercies. Brother Jeff read from the King James earlier, and you noticed the word bowels. Of mercy. The word the New King James translates tender. the King James translates bowels refers to those vital organs. We tend to think of the bowels we think about the colon but literally the word referred to the liver, the stomach, the colon, the part of man. And we shouldn't think that's odd because we use the word much the same way. If someone wants to talk about the seat of their emotions, we don't say bowels. We say our heart. We say, I love you with all my heart. Really? That organ that's inside your chest that pumps your blood, that's what you love with? It refers to that vital organ within us. That's the point he's trying to make there. The word that follows is the word mercy which indicates goodness, indicates a feeling of concern for someone else. let me illustrate this to you. In Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is... Kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. In the heart of God, in the bowels of God, if you want to use that word, into the tender mercies of God is the fact that He looks at other people and He treats them good regardless of the way they treat Him. Do you know God made the sun shine on the good and on the evil? He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God has concern for His creation. Merciful concern. I like the way that David puts it in Psalm 145 verse 19. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are over all His works. God really cares about each and every one of us. He cares about how things turn out in our lives. Sometimes we may wonder, "I'm going through some tough times in my life." Does God really care? Yes, He does. You'd be surprised all the blessings that God has provided. To draw a contrast, in Proverbs chapter twelve, verse ten, we read, "A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel." You see, you get a righteous man and he always is concerned. Even for the life of his animal. But you take a wicked man and his tender mercies, his care is not there. The second thing is the word kindness. Not exactly the word you hear often in the world today. You find people today, they're obsessed with road rage. They're angry because of the way people treat them at the grocery store or at another place of business. People today speak harshly to people of almost every situation in life. You think about that. How long has it been since someone has shown some kindness? A man to open the door for a lady. For to speak kindly to someone else. This is the word that is used in contrast to severity. Also translated goodness. For instance in Romans 11.22 Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail severity. But toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness. Otherwise you will be cut off. The word goodness is the same word for kindness found here in Colossians chapter 3. I think about the book of Ephesians. So many ways it is expressed there. In chapter 2 verse 7, "...that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." Or maybe the passage that is even more familiar. Be ye kind to one another. Tender hearted. The kind of goodness to one another. I've got to move on. Number three is humility. This is the attitude that says, I'm not better than you. You are better than me. Your wishes, your desires must come before my own. I must love you more than I even love myself. And Paul wrote the Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 3. And this is a consistent theme that runs throughout all these letters that he writes. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Lowliness of mind. This is where I do not think too highly of myself, to think humbly and say, well, I don't know what you're expecting me to do with that. In the context of Philippians chapter 2, he goes on to explain. He says, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. The American standard more accurately says he emptied himself. Jesus took off all the glory and the grandeur of heaven, and he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, Paul goes on to say, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In Ephesians 4, verse 2, Paul would write with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. It is hard to find people in this world today who are lowly, who are humble, who are kind. Number four, meekness. This is a unique word in the Bible. It's used in secular literature a lot. It describes when a man is taking an animal and is taming it, breaking it, if you will. You've got an animal that in the wild is extremely strong, but that strength is of no profit, of no use, because it's not controlled. On the other hand, you take a horse And after it has been tamed, it can be used to accomplish great things. Its strength is now harnessed and can accomplish what is needed to be accomplished. That's this word here. It's where you take all that wildness and you bring it to tame to put that strength under control. Now, everybody who's a Christian ought to be a strong person. Strong in the Lord. That doesn't mean that we just wildly and carelessly say anything and do anything we want. The word meekness indicates that person uses that strength under his control. That's the reason why sometimes in the Bible it's translated gentleness. Let me illustrate to you. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and a spirit of meekness. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. What do you do when you find somebody who has allowed sin to take over their life? Let me tell you what, you need to straighten out your life right now. That's not strength under control. That's just letting your opinions fly out of your mouth. Do it with a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of concern. Christians need that. First Corinthians 4.21, Paul said, What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? What do you expect me to do? He said, I, I think I need to be coming to you with love and gentleness. Next is long-suffering. This is patience and forbearance in difficult situations. Do people ever get on your nerves? If they don't, you're odd and strange. Normally, people will say things and do things that do not always respond to the way we want them to do. Sometimes situations in life are hard and difficult, and people are hard and difficult. Listen, as Paul describes God toward him. First Timothy chapter one and verse sixteen However for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He said, Look at me. Look at the long suffering that God expressed toward me. Here is Paul, also called Saul. And they laid the garments of those people who stoned Stephen at the foot of that young man. Here's the man who would travel to foreign cities all the way from Jerusalem, all the way up to Damascus in Syria to try to find Christians, to put them in jail, to compel them to blaspheme. God was patient. He endured with Saul during that period of time because he knew that Paul was a man of good conscience. When you go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, Peter writes about those who were formerly disobedient when the divine longsuffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. You know, while Noah was building the ark, God was being patient, giving people an opportunity to change their lives. Peter describes Noah as a preacher of righteousness. Not only was Noah building that great ark to put the animals on, he was also preaching and telling people about the future that was to come. And during that period of time, God was waiting. And if you notice, Peter's going to use that same illustration by saying, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God can be long-suffering with me, can't I be long-suffering with others? Which brings me to the next verse, which includes two participles in it. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving. Anytime you find those last three letters, I and G, that generally indicates that there's a participle. I know this is not an English class, but I will explain to you that participles are generally explaining words. Let me illustrate to you. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Baptizing and teaching is the way you make disciples. You put on all of these wonderful attributes, adornments. And then he comes and explains bearing with one another and forgiving one another. That's really what it's all about. It's about the way you and I treat with one another. If I look and I've got a problem, let's use the word he has here. If anyone has a complaint against another, What do I do? Do I go and I beat you over the head with it? He said, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I've got to have this attitude that I have to seek your highest good. And so he's going to go on and explain here in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And again, Luke 6 and verse 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. And above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. When you say above all things, you've got to take everything that's been above that we've talked about here, and you've got to, Love right up there at the top. You've got to ask the question, why? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and have all understanding so that I, and all knowledge... And I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. He said, if I don't have love as my motivation, I can do a lot of things, but they don't have any profit whatsoever. He'll come down to verse 13. He says, but now abides these three, faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. And why? is because it becomes the bond of perfection. The word bond there is the word for glue. You want to know what keeps us together? What makes us strong as a body of Christ? That bond of love. You remember John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35? Jesus says a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you have love for one another. That's what holds us together. And he says and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The peace of God. Peace, perfect peace. Calmness. With God, with myself, with another. The word rule is the word there for an umpire, an arbiter. Let the word, the peace of God, make the judgments in your life. Let it make the call. And then finally, very simply, and be thankful. Look at your life. How many of us have been blessed much more than we deserve? How many of us have had more given to us than we have been willing to give to others? Count your many blessings, name them one by one. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. It's time to put on a new set of clothes. The time that a person is supposed to put these new clothes on is when you become a Christian. You see, as we discussed last week about taking off the old, when I repent of my sins, that's when I'm supposed to make that clear break. Take off those sinful ways. But the truth is, sometimes we don't do that. It's time for us to take that off. If you're a Christian who has neglected your dress, now is the time for you to correct it. We're going to sing this invitation song. If you're not a Christian, oh, what a wonderful privilege it would be this morning for each of us to witness you baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, to have a new brother, a new sister in Christ. If you're one of God's children and you look at your life and you see the sin there and you know you need to correct it, we pray And we're going to sing that you'll respond as together we stand and sing.